Welcome to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. Join us as we share our favorite RPGs, one-shot games, tabletop games, reviews, and convention panels. Sit back and enjoy the show. Hi, this is Kelly, a.k.a. Trixie from Ragnarok and Roll, assigned to Ragnarok Story, and Tilda Wimblewick from D&D Journey of the Fifth Edition. First off, I would just like to say thank you to everyone for listening to our varied adventures, as well as for rating us on iTunes and RPGpodcast.com. If you haven't rated us yet, we would greatly appreciate it if you could. And if you're looking for more ways to support our efforts, we are now on Patreon, a great site where you can help us continue making more podcasts, as well as some special surprises for our patrons. If you can, please look us up at www.patreon.com cppn. Every little bit helps. And again, thank you for listening. On that note, let's talk about world building. Because <laughs> that actually, I mean, that actually is a good uh, intro into stories that I'm writing in right now. And by the way, I am Diesel Jester. Tamsin Silver. And uh, this is the world building in steampunk. Uh, but, I mean, it can also be applicable to steampunk, diesel punk, whatever punk you're doing. Uh, weird Western. Weird, yeah, Weird Westerns. Because uh, you're going to be doing research for all of them. Right, especially if you're trying to do historical elements into a fantasy world. So, like with uh, my Jaegers of the Consortium, the split in my world comes at the Great War, World War One. World War Two never happened. And sometimes it's just as simple as start with Earth. Find a little thread of history to kind of branch off and explore what happens uh, down there. So I did that with the Jaeger series, and it's like, okay, so I want airships. I want, uh, uh, but how am I going to make them fly? Okay, I made a fictional element, Tissagen, which is literally, uh, it's taken from, uh, I believe I used Cherokee. The Cherokee word for copper, which was tissy. Uh, and then gin is the universal, uh, like oxygen, hydrogen. It's the, so, so it's literally copper air. <laughs> uh, so I use that. It's like, okay, how did this come about? Well, let's see. Let's throw in a cataclysm so that they... Uh, so that they fi- so that this starts coming out of the earth and people discover it. Okay, how did that come about? Well, let's see. Let let's uh, explore on how far the Great War actually went and how and thermal weapons that'll melt ice caps and <laughs> and just kind of adding little elements into there. And pretty soon you have an entirely divergent timeline for an alternate Earth, which is where my Jaegers of the Consortium starts at. Um, but it's like as was I, as I had mentioned in the authors panel last night, uh, which I have mentioned to Dina. Please don't schedule us after hours again. <laughs> um, start small with an idea, and then expand it from there. Uh, and then, if you're doing historical fiction, that's when you can do the like what ifs. Uh, and I'm pretty sure Tamsin will be <laughs> ready to jump in on this one uh, with. Uh, all of her research on Billy the Kid and everything. and um, But it's like, okay, what if this happened in, instead of this? Uh, I'm working on a diesel punk 
story alternate 1960s that have all the fantasy elements uh, thrown into it goblins orcs elves that sort of thing but the elves are not the good guys no they sided with the nazis in world war ii <laughs> so yeah uh, so, no. so, mm. and oh. the orcs <laughs> so, well that makes more sense but and it's like where are the goblins oh they're always per- persecuted so they uh including over here in the New World. So when slaves came over, so did the goblins. They were used as slave labor uh, with uh, black people, and then they didn't like what was happening with black people and Native Americans, so they rose up and started arming them. And So the Civil War happened a little bit differently. And So that you, you're doing a lot of alternate history, yeah, I do. whereas I'm doing a little more of secret history. True, so... <laughs> right, so for me... Um, my research was so that I could do something that normally is not done. Um, once I got to know everybody in Lincoln, I really wanted... They kept talking about how no one ever got Billy's history done correctly. Um, that they always took... The, I mean, not that they hated any of it, because anything that is Billy the Kid related, that is something people enjoy, drives tourism, people come come to the city. If, you, if you've never been to Lincoln, to that town, you need to go. Um, it is not expensive to visit. It is one of the the most intact old towns in the West, um, more so than Tombstone or any of the others. Um, and so they don't mind. Everything that brings tourism, people who love Billy, they're excited about it. But when they were like, yeah, no one ever does the history right, and I was like, ooh, challenge accepted. <laughs> ooh, let's, let's have what fun. We <laughs> but I, when I, so, what, so I'm this weirdo, and um, I, <laughs> everyone who writes, we're weirdos. So one of the things that I love to do is, and this is something that I always tell people, you know, find what you love about when you're doing research and how you're going to use that in your writing. And um, I enjoy the fact that there are holes in history. I enjoy reading something and then all of a sudden I'm going, I'm sorry, what? There's this break or there's a spot where I'm like, oh, now that could get interesting. And you can play with it. I like to keep history as intact as I possibly can and work around it to make it even... I want to take it so, well, what if this actually happened instead? What if you didn't know that there is a whole other situation going on that this is why this happened? And I love the idea of this could be feasible if we believe in supernatural and that. And so, um, so if you're gonna if you're gonna write stuff like that, now you're trying to keep history as exact as you can, and you have to like. There's a point where they're like, well, why wouldn't they have all found those kind of bullets all over? Like, I actually have something that deals with that. So you have to start thinking about how do you make sure this could have literally been secret? How could it have been hidden? Um, and so I really just wanted to study the real history. An example: right after they killed John Tunstall. Everybody meets at McSween's house. In all the books I read, I was like, these are the people that were at McSween's house discussing things. No one knows what they discussed. Oh, really? <laughs> well, let's, let's Let, explore that. <laughs> I, I can take care of that for you. Um, and so it, it's, and of course in history, you're going to find things where there's multiple tellings of something. And you're like, I don't know which of these is right. And you can just pick whichever one works better for your, for your story and your world build. 
I, on the other hand, to make things easier, um, I decided to choose what would be the most real and plausible. And then I talked to historians and said, which one do you think it is? Someone who I trusted. And they were like, this one. And thankfully, it was the one I'd chosen. <laughs> uh, I didn't have to rewrite. Oh, thank God, I don't have to do a rewrite. <laughs> I only had to do one rewrite, and I had written an entire scene where one of the characters gets shot in the leg and all this stuff. Because the books I'd read, after they kill the sheriff... There's all this talk about who got shot in the leg. Well, after I talked with Drew Gomber, who is a historian on Billy the Kid that's well-respected, well he goes, I think Billy was the one shot. And I was like, and I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> that is not what I wrote. And so we got discussing it, and I said, okay, why? And he talked to me about the reason why, and it was enough justification for me that I went back and I rewrote. I went and I rewrote that entire scene, and to be honest, it's better. And it actually opened up something for me in the storyline that I should have addressed, and it worked out way better. But like, but I think that's what I love about secret history is that I like taking history and weaving it into fantasy to create an alternate, and that's why I still speak on alternate history panels because it's still an alternate take on history. Um, but yeah, for me, that's what history. I love reading history and thinking about where can I fit things in to make this epic and make it something that when you read you feel like you were sucked back into the time and you were brought into the fold, so to speak, of this adventure. It also goes to show just how much research you need to do just for a character to pull off a one-liner. <laughs> uh, oh. <laughs> right? Dude. You know. <laughs> I have a book. It's fantastic. I call it the Bible of Billy. It's not its title. Um... But it is, it's documents, it's, it's Frederick Nolan. He is, if you want to research Billy the Kid, you don't need to read anything other than Frederick Nolan, Nora Hen, and Drew Gomber, whose book is not out yet, so don't hunt for it and wonder what the hell. <laughs> uh, but the Koch brothers paid him to do it, because the Koch brothers own Billy the Kid Tintype. And so um, they paid him to write a book. It is done. It's not out yet. But those are the only three authors that if you want to read real Billy the Kid history, I recommend. But, yeah, then they all have their own take on some things. Yeah. You know? So it's very interesting. And then uh, writing alternate history, uh, like I did with uh, Leviathans, Test of Resolve. It's uh, on Kickstarter right now, but hopefully anthology later. Um, this, was more, this is more of a... Leviathans is alternate history done by Catalyst Games Labs. But they also wanted historical figures to be as accurate as possible so I had to research a lot of uh, Alaskan history Clinket culture uh, because this because this I mean as literally on the cover it takes place in southeast Alaska Clinket culture? Clinket uh, what's that? the native Alaskans up there oh wow uh, the three major uh, native Alaskan tribes are the Clinket the Haida and the Simshian in southeast Alaska um Yes, and one of those, I know there is a tribe from Alaska that I do reference in the Billy the Kid series. I wrote this one a long time ago, y'all. I can't remember which one it is. It's fine. <laughs> That's but because they, as authors, we flush this out of our random memory as soon as but it's random. they're the ones that have a thing about the raven. That would probably be one, the Clinket Haida or Simshian. I mean, yeah. uh, all three. Raven was a big because he's my shape. He's my. I have a Raven uh, Skinwalker. Yeah, all three. And he is from that one of the tribes. Yeah, in all three. All three of the tri those tribes uh, revere Raven as the trickster god. Yes. Uh, which is the equivalent of Coyote down here in the uh, south yeah. uh, yeah. southwest. Uh, and
and then Eagle is more of the wise <laughs> thing. But I did I did get to reference a lot of the mythology of uh, the tribes and incorporate their history into it. But it's also of for maybe a couple of paragraphs of dialogue and history. I had to do a ton of research to make sure that I nailed it right because I referenced the Battle of Sitka, which was a historical battle that happened between the Russians and the Klinka tribe of Sitka. Uh, the Sitka had been raiding uh, Russian outposts all up and down southeast Alaska because they, they were tired of the Russians coming in, killing off the seals, and just taking their pelts. I mean, gee, does this sound familiar down here? <laughs> it's like, now I'm like, which one was it? <laughs> so... Um, and so they were trying to push the Russians out. The Russians uh, finally got tired of it, and they uh, did a four-day siege of uh, the village of Sitka, which is like right out on the uh, Gulf of Alaska, uh, and it accumulated in the most horrific way possible with the Sitka realizing that they were going to lose, and they had over the course of this four-day battle, they were evacuating as many people as they could to other nearby islands to fade off into the wilderness. And then they had to make the horrific decision of children, elderly, and wounded that they did not want captured by and indoctrinated by the Russians. So they euthanized them. Horrific day. And it was animosity that the Russians and the Clinket held against each other up until the early 2000s when they finally had a healing ceremony that lasted for two days. Clinket uh, culture, their, their rituals go over a very long time. <laughs> I survived a payout party, and that took an entire 24-hour period that you were required to stay awake for. <laughs> so... Um, Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> and that's not even the traditional version. The traditional version goes an entire week. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but it's like I had to do massive amounts of research uh, into the battle, into the culture, just to pull off a, a few paragraphs in, in the story. But, I mean, in the end, the, the publisher, they're like going, oh, my God, we want to know more about this. You need to expand upon this. It's like, I was trying to stay within the word count you gave me. We want oh more. Damn, damn the word count. Give us more. Okay. <laughs> you asked for it. So, oh. so, yeah, it's like they originally were trying to hold me to 6,000 words, but when they found out about this uh, historical battle that actually took place, they're like, we want more. We want more. Well, I mean, that's a good thing, but also... Yeah, no, it was, and uh, I was I was more than happy to showcase it, but I mean, but at the same time, it's like I'm operating within the intellectual property of another world that's already established uh, for Leviathan, so it was one of those things that's like, okay, I need to, uh, I need to research their timeline, figure out all the ins and outs of that, uh, but I mean, it still boils down to the basic premise of, are you going to have your own world, or are you going to have... An alternate Earth. Uh, Writing in someone else's world build is—it's tricky because. It is. Um, has anyone here ever read anything by Faith Hunter? She is a New York Times best-selling author. She writes fantasy, uh, but she has a series called the Rogue Mage series. Okay. 
Ah. <laughs> it's like, okay, we got a reader. <laughs> Rogue Mage, there's also Jane Yellowrock, there's also, yeah. But her Rogue Mage series is the idea of the apocalypse happened, angels showed up, and all kinds of things, but God never came. <laughs> so, the so the world's a little bit weird. You've got angels, you've got you know all kinds of stuff going on, and you've got these mages. These are kids that survived all of the trial, their, their mothers were pregnant, and they were born with gifts. So that's a very short version of the information. Um, but she wanted to do short stories and just have everybody write in this world. And thankfully, that world was also made into a basically a LARP, a game. And so there were books on the world, and they were able to hand us digital copies of that oh, for us to use to dig through, right? But if they hadn't, I would have had to reread all three books and been like, so what else is there out there in this post-apocalyptic? But that was the one. that's one of the times I had to write in someone else's world and you have to go digging and learn it. And it's not unlike learning the history to write in it. It's a very similar situation. Yeah. But, I mean, if you're uh, going with your completely new world and everything, I mean, it's like there's some people, I mean, and I was guilty of this too when I first started, was uh, you write this whole entire world. I mean, I had notebooks uh, composition notebooks full of this world that I had created. I mean, I even went down to like uh, orbital rotation and axial tilt. That's how detailed I went. And I was like going, it's like, wow, I got all this information. I want to showcase it all. And then you try to get it all out in one book, and it's like, you just can't do it. Not without just being one big info dump. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, without writing, it's like, okay, here's my story, and now here's my <laughs> compendium for this story. Um, please see volumes one through five. <laughs> um, which, I mean, don't get me wrong. World building is a lot of fun. But it, my recommendation to anyone is start small. And then with each subsequent story, you do expand upon it a little bit more until, I mean, before you know it, you have a series going. Um, Something that helped me in world building with concern to info dumping. No one in, none of your readers need to know things until they're required. So you're like, oh, well, I'll just talk about all of this information about the political hierarchy here. And I'll talk. But if that's and not going to come into play until like five chapters from five now. chapters from now, you don't need it yet. So don't write it yet. No one's going to remember it. I know you think it's amazing and they're not going to need to have it. No, no, no. <laughs> Your reader's probably asleep by page five. <laughs> yeah. So, but if it's important, so, and you can, what's amazing is you can actually use some of that detail for your descriptions when you start introducing characters. So-and-so comes in and you can explain through conversation who they are, what they do. like, And so it just helps your world build spread out and become more realistic and feel full without being here and then dialogue. So yeah, that's avoid, one thing. Avoid Moby Dick. I mean, yeah, <laughs> Moby Dick is great and everything if you want to learn about whaling. Uh, but it's like, and it, it's an epic classic, don't get me wrong. <laughs> but it's like, when you're going through all the ins and outs of whaling and you're like, oh, Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, no, I never got through. It's it. like no, let's get to Captain Ahab and his animosity for the uh, stupid whale. <laughs> it's also in the same kind just like with um, Dracula. Everybody remembers the key part; they don't realize a large portion of it was on the train. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, Tom Clancy is also another example I use. Epic stories, awesome political intrigue. I really don't need to know how to how to drive a submarine. <laughs> so, 
That's uh, a good point. Uh, <laughs> so it's like, uh, so like with uh, my airship battles, it's like in in both the my Leviathan story and in uh, the Jaeger stories, it's like I don't gloss too much over on how airships work. <laughs> Not necessary. Yeah, it's just a. Uh, it's like I kind of I kind of write the scene and then I just and of how cluttered and plant it is because it's like I uh, I did go on to the, like the USS Bofin uh, that's moored in Pearl Harbor and a lot of my ideas for what an airship looks like comes from touring that submarine and it's like yeah this is how I imagine a submarine would be just probably with or an airship just with more windows <laughs> so you can see around and so. But, I mean, they really don't need to know what lever does what. They just need to know that the helmsman is up there pulling levers and turning this big-ass wheel in order to move the airship around of however the captain is ordering him to do. For me, it's stuff like this, though. All right, if someone... This is where you're thinking, oh, maybe algebra and math came into play to help you with this. No. Um... (laughs) If so, but I'll I'll pose it to you as a problem. Maybe you guys can figure it out. How long would it take for a group of people to get from England to Texas on an airship? (laughs) (laughs) They're not real, so I guess you could really. But still, you have to think about well, what is the distance? What how fast can they go? Yeah, I was like, is it speed of a boat or is it speed of a plane or is it faster because of some reason right exactly right. my point because I'm writing and I'm like I need to get them to Texas or even uh, uh, Derringerville because they were considered airships until Edinburgh burnt out mm-hmm. right I think what you're expressing is that your readers are experts at imagination and the secret is how to tap into that Head of the class, right here. Class, <laughs> right there. Human nature to fill in that showing. Yeah, show, show, but don't tell it. Yeah. There's yeah. nothing that makes you want to beat yourself up with the book itself than than when someone tells you everything. Like, did anyone here read uh, the Hunger Games? Uh, All right. I read the first one. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so you get to you, when you start, when you finally get to the end, and you can tell she rushed it. Because she just oh, starts yeah. telling you everything that happened, yeah. mm-hmm. and I'm like, please tell me this doesn't. Continue. Please tell me we're going to actually get to experience the. No, no, no. She just from a certain we point on, on first person perspective, and it's info dump, yeah. and then it's just info dump, and you're yeah. just like, it's like stop. I'm like, oh, and I, I literally, I, I was at a writing group meeting. We were getting ready to do something, and I was finishing it, and I was like. Doesn't this get and my girls? Does it get better? No. <laughs> and I was like, is she going to input it to the end? Yes, yes ma'am. And I was yeah. like, oh. I was totally waiting for the end to be, and it's her child reading the history book of mom. You know, because yeah. oh, it just feels like info dump, info dump, info dump, and it's like, yeah, that would have made sense. And then I close right. the book and I understand what mom's all about. You know? <laughs> right. I think at least that would have been a happy heart ending as opposed to what we were given. Yeah, the fact that, like, well, Peta and I finally, finally reconciled. And I'm like, that that's no closure. Thanks so much. <laughs> I was like, can I shoot you now? Thank Y'all you. have been too, through too much. I think yeah. Suzanne Collins is a master at one thing. I, I, many things. But the one thing is, is what, that when her readers start writing or creating stories within their heads, as you're reading through the Hunger Games series, because then you're like, wow, the districts. Huh? I could have my own district. I could do this on mm-hmm. my own. Maybe I don't identify with this district much than this other district. I think that that's amazing when an author can do that. Yeah. That's true. No, and there are things about the series that 
are why it was amazing. Katniss is not one of those reasons. Um, but uh, she's horrible. Um, the only reason you like her is through the eyes of two different people, and they're both pretty much dead or not involved by the third book, and you're like, oh. I liked her um, cat better. <laughs> right? I so, stopped at the first book, so... <laughs> so you don't know. Anyways, we're, we're off topic. Um, uh, not necessarily. Because I mean, it's, it's a world-built situation. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I, I have a question for both of you. Yeah. Um, to build your worlds, plots, and uh, your characters, have you started using AI? No. No. And I refuse to. Um, <laughs> I, I, that's one of also the things that I have with issues that I have with Royal Guard Publishing that I've done, that I've submitted my anthologies to, and so is uh, George Barrett here, <laughs> who's had his had his debut in um, Dukes of Harem and just uh, released Sanguine Elf. Um, I hope I pronounced that correctly. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> um, they, we were like three quarters of the way through the process and then all of a sudden they're pumping out uh Images for the Kickstarters and everything, and, and it's like, who's the art? Who's the artist that's pumping this out real quickly? And they're going, "Oh, we're using novel AI." I'm like, "Oh, really?" <laughs> um, yes, I know that AI exists out there uh, where you can like plug your own works in there, plug in an incomplete story, and the AI will finish it for you. I refuse to do that because I do not believe that is actual writing. Yep. Um, I would refuse because an AI only knows what you trade. Right, and mm-hmm. that's the that's the other thing. And so I don't I don't support AI writing. I don't support uh, AI images. I was thinking more or less because some of the best selling authors right now, what they're doing in their publishing houses, are using it for research, not for creating actual. Let much like you were saying, like. For instance, Billy the Kid, you could spend like how long researching something, whereas you can go to GPT and say, you know, is this plausible? Can I do this? And then then GPT will come back to you and say, hmm, it looks pretty good, Um, or something like that. On that same note, if you have an AI that is speaking to 100,000 people, professing their love and asking for marriage, and then you have, I think there were five reported incidents of them asking how to build nuclear weapons or what the nuclear codes were. How can you really say, hey, let's look at the AI for looking at a direction, or will it give me accurate history, or is it going to give me alternative history, or some fan history that's out there, Some someone said, okay, wrote this whole story of, okay, I have this entire affair with Billy the Kid, it's been read 400,000 times, so it must be an authoritative source for Billy the Kid's uh, history. Yeah, and, and again, I mean, you're hitting the nail on the head yeah. there, so it's like usually whenever I'm trying to judge plausibility of whether something will work or not, I get actual people to read it, and, <laughs> and I say, hey, will, will this work, does this not work, and then... I mean, this also gets into the start of the editing process, where I tell people don't feel, don't fear what the editor says, don't fear the red ink. Um, some of the best advice that I ever got from Lauren Coleman, who's a BattleTech writer, but um, it's like let them judge what 
works in your story and what doesn't work in your story and uh, get active feedback from them. Don't rely on a computer. <laughs> uh, so yeah, no, I so AI bad evil unplug this fucker. <laughs> yeah, I've got enough ideas in my head that I like they bombard me enough with all the things that I want to do and create. I don't need to go to AI to tell me because you know, know what? I don't give a damn if it says I can or can't write it. Right. If I want to write it, I'm going to write it. I, may, I can justify anything. If I may throw an observation out, out there about AI, because if you use AI to make the, these things, it have, you have to ask one very, very important question. If the AI can do it, what's the point of us being creative? Exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I was just talking about expediting the research. Yeah. Uh, no, I enjoy that exactly. research. I live in that research until I finally let go of my fear of writing it. Yeah, for research, I love research. Uh, oh, God. I, it's like so, I, I mean, I'm paying a ton of money to go to London to research. Could I research Jack the Ripper on my own? I sure could. But Am I going to go to these places? I'm like, but would I much rather go get tours and talk to people who are experts in it and yes, see please. the places? Yeah. Like another one of the stories that I'm working on for this next year, I, I call it's uh, called Diamond Muerte, and it's kind of an alternate Earth, alternate future. Uh, after like thousands of years after a post-apocalyptic event and everything where I showcased Chichen Itza, which I went to uh, back in December of 21. Beautiful, gorgeous. Walked around uh, the place, got to touch the the stones of the ball court and everything. And it was just like going, oh my God, this is great. The, I mean, and the story just kind of went from there, especially after I, I purchased some art down there of a... Uh, of a woman in a Dias de los Muertos uh, mask and outfit and everything uh, with bandoliers and holding two pistols. It's like, oh my god, this is so freaking cool. And, and so it's like I got like half the story written until my wife, the editor, goes, no, you need to put some backstory into it as well. <laughs> so, but it's just action and guns. Isn't this awesome? It's like, come on. It's a, it's a lady with a magic mask going to Chichen Itza and kicking orc ass. What more do you want? I want to know her backstory. I might not be as good of an author, but when I do my D&D stories, I always like to put in something small. Something that if they're writing the history, they're going to drop it out like, hey, you know, I was walking down the street and I tripped over the sidewalk. Well, now that uneven sidewalk is a plot device. Right. But that's not in the history books. That's not in most of the places you would research. Right. But I was walking there, the deal de los muertos. You can get different ideas due to the different types of masks. Right. Yes, exactly. What's interesting is that I lived in New York City when I first started working on the series, and I had never been out west, and I was like, well, I, I need feet on the ground. I can't just try and write something, especially when I've lived on the East Coast or Midwest my whole life. And so um, I reached out to the Historical Society for Lincoln, and it's like, gave me the names. It was like, you can either contact the president, the vice president, the secretary. It's like, secretary, because <laughs> that's what's actually going to get back to me. Right. And she did, and she is thanked in all the books. Um, she made sure I knew who to contact, go stay, and I spent four days, and I, I flew out for like four or five days. And it wasn't enough. I went back about nine months later and did two weeks. At which point in time I realized that 
Uh, I've been trapped. Have you ever, you've seen the thing in New Mexico, it says Land of Enchantment. Mm -hmm. They also refer to it as Land of Entrapment. (laughs) Uh, Because it's beautiful and the land speaks, and if it speaks to you like it did me, I then start looking for a job and I moved. So, um, and now I live in New Mexico. So my, my friends are like, wait a minute, you're touring to where to do research? I'm like, London. They're like, no, 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 no. You can't move there too. Uh, I'm like, I just bought a house here. We're good. At least for three years until I can rent it out. But we also got two magic words here, and that's called business expense. Yes. This whole thing will be done as a business expense. Right, yeah. So, But what's great about it is that because of writing, I'm going to get to do this kind of thing and research. And I think that's one of the great things about people who write and do research and, and really take it to that next level is that it, it not only does it give you more ideas and make your writing richer and help you really do that world build to an extent where people can really feel it even without trying like I've had people say to me oh I can see New Mexico when I read this I'm like really because I don't know think if I do enough mm-hmm. and I think it just comes naturally because you've fallen in love with it mm-hmm. right or because you've been there yeah um, and so I think it's I think it's such a gift to get to do this that we uh, that I get to travel and take what I learned and I grow as a person too by doing all this research so I, I, I would never go as much as I am gonna have to go back and finish some just regular urban fantasy stuff and I have things I'll need to finish my passion has really moved into it this historical work because I just think it's a fulfilling and challenging thing to do. Yeah, I call it the Louis L'Amour method of researching because Louis L'Amour, I mean, any place that he is mentioned in, in his books, he went there personally. And uh, so, I mean, fa- phenomenal author. <laughs> Uh, gone way too soon. <laughs> Isn't uh, George Martin from Santa Fe? Yeah, he is. Yeah. He's talking about a world. He's a, he's, a fr- oh, yeah. he's friends with a friend of mine. Actually, a couple of my friends. So I'm literally, I'm like, it's just a matter of time until I meet him because I have a bunch of friends that I spend much time with who know him very well. His store is pretty amazing. We haven't been to it, but we heard about it. Yes. Yeah, and he actually has a uh, convention that he runs. It's usually the week before Dragon Con. So I'm like, I cannot order books for your convention and ship them to Atlanta. That's a lot of books to buy. Um, but he has Bubonicon here. Uh, here. Albuquerque. Um, and they do it there downtown. So, um, but yeah, he started that years ago. But yeah, he's on there. Is there much of it, because I heard you mentioning urban fantasy, how much is that separate from building your own world, or does that kind of just fit in? I think it fits in. It, when you I don't know, but there's the some, right? <laughs> like like something major is going on. There's a bunch of honking and screaming, and come out of the we know the world's crashing. There's everything going on out there. The guy with the garbage. They just they just want to be distracting. Um, <laughs> someone's car alarm is now the special effect. Um, <laughs> Authors of work work. Anybody who disturbs us will be written into the book. Pretty much. Yes. <laughs> and, never, and, and if people piss you off, they get to be your villain. <laughs> it's like, my neighbor. My new. I just bought a house and our neighbor my roommate's also a writer she's like I needed a new villain our neighbor's going to be that person I was like <laughs> fair yeah um, I, put, I put my grandmother into this uh, as one of the antagonists and I dug my heels in on it with the publisher they're like change it no change it no Come on, nobody's that cruel. Let me give you her phone number. In 15 minutes, you'll be apologizing and wondering why I tamed her down. (laughs) To test this, I even gave this to my cousins. I said, just read this part right here. 
uh, in the in the first chapter. You don't need it's nothing spicy, no, uh, n- uh, nothing smutty or anything. Just read this part, and they read it. Their jaws dropped, and they're like, "Oh my god, you put grandma in this book." <laughs> they never gave them any context. So yeah, if people piss you off, they become your <laughs> they become your uh, new villain. <laughs> to finish answering your question though, because uh, we got distracted. Yeah, sorry. Um, <laughs> Fantasy, I feel, is something that can feed well into anything. Because when you write fantasy, it's freedom. Yeah. There's there's no wrong answer in what you're writing when you write fantasy. You can play with it however you want. Someone's like, well, there's rules about vampires. I'm like, vampires aren't real. You can do what the hell you yeah. want. Yes. Write your own vampires. Write your own kind. Just as long as they don't fucking sparkle. I knew you were going to say that. I w- now let's give a few props just to Stephanie. It's a really- I know I, I I just like ragging on that part. I love ragging on it too. But let's be honest, it's an interesting idea of, tw- of twisting the idea of why they can't be in the sun, and I thought it was kind of cool. Yeah. Um, it also explains but I think too. you can use fantasy to support anything in any world you do. Um, of course, this is coming from someone who writes urban fantasy and historical yeah, right. fantasy. Um, but I, I think that you can use it however you wish to. It doesn't even matter. But you just create the rules for your fantasy rules. races and stay oh, yeah, within yeah. those. Because yeah. then the, the moment you break continuity in your books, your writer, your readers are going, wait a minute. By the way, you also can create as you go. You don't need to write it on the floor. Right, form. yeah. Yes. <laughs> That's the other thing, too. Yep. It's like, oh, have I written that rule yet? No, I have not. Have a nice day. <laughs> so, yeah. I've done that once. I was having a problem, and my husband's like, well, you haven't actually published the book yet. And I go, yeah, because you could change that rule. Don't do the word twice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As I was writing, I had to give Billy, I was literally like, well, he has to have something that affects his powers. And I made a decision on what it would be and used it. Um, it's copper. So when you were talking about copper, I was copper. like, oh. I was like, Billy couldn't hang out on your show. <laughs> <laughs> no, just so He'd long as he sad. doesn't go diving into the into the air tanks, so he'll be he'll be fine. <laughs> Is that like Superman with kryptonite? Um, it takes away his power. Yeah, if he's surrounded or if he has copper on him, or it turns out in him, that's a fun story. So um, no, it's not that. Um, <laughs> uh, you ever watch Mega Man? What? Mega no. Mike? No. It, it's a DreamWorks movie. And, like, uh, uh, one of the, the joke, um, they, they, they have, like, a smart Superman kind of character. And, 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 and like, uh, to, to get out of the job, he pretends as weak as his copper. <laughs> That's funny. And he does as a joke in the villain. He's like, looks around, oh no, you've surrounded me with copper. And the villain's like, Yes, yes, I did. I bet, I, I bet I know where that came from too, because one of the rules in the Evil Overlord Handbook is I will fake, I will fake a uh, a weakness. So when the like I'll go screaming in, in terror and uh, in front of uh, all mirrors and have all mirrors banished from my thing. So at the dramatic moment when the hero pulls out a mirror, I'll just go, "Huh, oh, I think I need a shave." <laughs> Not bad. What's that? Leslie Nielsen, uh, Dracula, Dead, and Love. Oh, oh God, yes. <laughs> oh, let's so let's see. Any other questions? I mean, have either of you um, considered taking your works to film? Oh, don't we all? Oh, we don't we wish? Yeah. <laughs> um, I've got somebody who I was at Albuquerque Comic Con. She was like, 
I have some friends who I think would be really interested in your series. I was like, I didn't know what she was talking about. And she was like, they do film and, and television stuff, and I really would like them to read your stuff. And I was like, that would be awesome. Do I think anything's going to come of that? No. Well, unless, <laughs> But I can dream. Unless Surrender Cinema resurrects or some other porn company out there wants to. Because <laughs> let's face it, I write some. A little spicy. Yeah, it's like. A, <laughs> I didn't see your cover. No, yeah, it's like. A, <laughs> I see it. yeah, Do you have Boobalicious with you? Uh, no, I don't have uh, I don't have the uh, Dukes of Harem uh, placard here. No. No, no, I don't. That, no. That, oh, God. <laughs> My grandmother doesn't know that I've written smutty books and uh, okay. or, or that I put her into one as a villain. <laughs> oh my god. It's this, just a delicious thought. It really this is. is this is the one this is my tamer series. <laughs> uh, this is like Spartacus in space with all the it's like if you watch Spartacus Sand and Blood or something, yeah that's pretty much my book in a sci fi setting with a better ending. <laughs> uh, so any other questions about world building yeah. anybody has? Yeah. Where's the, you know, if you get stumped in your world building, because, like, for me, my reference is RPGs. You know, I do, I do yeah. games. And so you, you want to start small and just fill in the gaps in the map the players need to know about, you know. Mm-hmm. So you, you purposely filter down. I can mention something, but, you know, vague references of, you know, Timmy the, the turnip grower comes by and says, oh, it's been a good year since the year blah, blah, blah happened, you know. And, and how would you suggest writing, you know, is, is that the, the type of way you would do it? Is just start small just what the reader needs? Or would you throw in little tidbits ahead of time? You know, forewarning, you know. I like to give people an idea about character first. And then, because to me, that is the basis of everything I write. Yeah. Okay? It's character. It's who they are as people. Um, it's their experiences, it's the stuff they're going to experience, and it's their journey that I'm letting you in on, right? Um, but as far as the world build, um, I like to kind of set the stage so you can see where we are, and then I like to pepper it in and start building outward as we go. So, and I like to throw, but you said small things, I like to throw small little things in there that if someone goes and does research, they'll be like, I had a fan of mine reach out the other day. And he goes, I was today years old when I realized that Colonel, the horse that Billy rides through most of this, is a real horse. (laughs) (laughs) That Tunstall really owned a blind horse that was an amazing riding horse. I'm like, yes, yes. I just decided that Billy had power to heal his eyes as long as he kept doing it occasionally. Um, He was rode blind by the military. And so, but he was a military horse. He was sturdy and he was smart and he was a really good riding horse. Tunstall felt he'd never been on a better horse. And so I was like, well, why don't I heal that horse and make him a superstar? (laughs) And, And so he's one of, people love that character more than some of the others that are actually human beings in my series. The horse is a main character. And so, but he is also, but no one's going to know. Well, now you do. Um, no one knows he's real until they research about John Tunstall and they really come across Colonel and they're like, holy shit. <laughs> he's actually a horse that that's real. That really happened. That wow. really happened. So there's stuff like that I throw in there. So there's little things like you mentioned that I like to do, but overall I do. I like to pepper it in and as we move along, you start to see and the world starts to build out for you. So that as, we, and in the next trilogy, 
I'm taking that to a whole new level. You're going to learn all about all the new supernatural stuff, the underground, and all of that. So you're going to get a tiny taste of the people in this, and you're going to get more history. In the next section, you're going to get history, but you're going to get this big boatload of a new real build on the world of all the special stuff that's going on. So I'm super stoked to do that. <laughs> and it's also about uh, which style you're writing, first yeah. person, third person, oh. third person omniscient, or third person view where you're looking through the eyes of the of the of the current scene the protagonist of the current scene and everything and it's what they know versus uh what everybody else knows so i mean if it's uh so if the your character comes across timmy the turnip farmer and said oh and timmy's like going oh yeah we had a really good uh uh crop this year as opposed to last year, your character can either agree with them if they know about that because it's like, oh, yeah, I knew about the crop. I was here and everything. Yeah, I agree with you and everything. And so now your reader has that little bit of information that, yeah, your character knows a little bit about turnip farming or, no, uh, what happened and everything. One of the tropes I hate is the, as you all know, and, oh, my God, my eye twitches the The moment I read that. Or little did they know. Little did they know. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. I'm like, um, yes. Oh, stop, please. <laughs> those are those are two of the biggest tropes that I abhor in fiction, and I and I try to avoid like the plague. I think the trope that I have used before that some people also hate, but I I like I like the idea that you're bringing someone new into this world, and it opens up the opportunity to teach that person and the reader what's going on. So it justifies a lot of things. So if you're if if you want if you're finding yourself having a hard time having a character main character who's new to this world opens up a little more opportunity for you to teach that world. <laughs> uh, well, in my in my first book of uh, in Fallen Stars, I mean, it happens after massive interstellar war uh, that the that the hero fought in, and he actually was the one who ended the war. And and so all you know in my first book is that yes, the Confederacy, uh, the Confederacy of Terra, and the New Roman Republic went at it in a war, and the Confederacy won. Um. But you don't exactly get to see much of the New Roman Republic or a lot of the history. Well, then when I go into binaries, I kind of expanded the New Roman Republic to say, this is what the world is like, and now you're seeing it through her eyes, who was a Confederacy citizen. And now she's on the other side going, oh my god, I didn't know all this stuff was actually over here on this side of the border. So it's like... So the first book, especially if you're writing... Trilogy, or, or a series, right. Um, should probably be more concentrated on the story, and then later... Right, and then, you exp- the and then you expand a little bit more uh, on each uh, subsequent book. It, so, it, at least that's how I do it. <laughs> yeah. So how much do you... Just enough to just enough to get... I, I know where you're going with the question, so it's, the answer is just enough to advance the plot. Because plot is a verb. you got to keep the plot moving or else your story dies out. If you write a chapter and nothing moves your plot, that chapter is not needed. Yeah. Um, so, like, uh, so in Fallen Stars, I bounced between uh, the hero and the heroine. And, and I got slammed on a YouTube review of 
her being like kind of a cookie cutter damsel in distress is like yeah fair enough that's kind of what I was going for with her anyway so uh, so when I uh, then did binaries I kind of made her a bit of a yeah she's like meek Fredo oh my god I've been dropped in the middle of the new Roman Republic where they enslave people and everything and then as she's growing more confident and uh, and learning more about the society then she's like getting this build up and everything uh, uh, to be who she is at the end of the uh, story I'm not going to spoil it for you $15 you can find out how <laughs> so, uh, so yeah we're getting about 10 minutes away from the end of the panel so any other questions <laughs> okay. um, I'm making a story uh, that takes place in a mythological place that's not really well known exactly um it, is it important to keep historical uh, facts about the place, like um, facts, because it's like mythological and all that? Oh, that's a, such a good question. Actually. It is, and the short answer is it depends. But <laughs> yeah, and I agree with that. It depends. Um, so for me, I would want to keep all the aspects of it that you know that there are going to be people. Who know about that mythological thing and there's gonna be parts about that mythological thing that are important I wouldn't change those I would let those be anchors and let yourself play with those and let keep them um, if it's small stuff that's really not eh, you can leave it keep it whatever but if it is like let's say it's Atlantis that you're gonna use right obviously you can pretty much do a lot of things but it better be underwater and it better have water people, and you better have a way for them to breathe air. And is it that they can breathe water now, or is there a bubble around it? What is the, like... you got to you got to explain how it disappeared from Earth. Earth, <laughs> right? So there's there are things that I think that you definitely need to keep, especially if it's a place that's a mythological place that people know a lot about, or is heavy in mythology and people use it. I would keep a lot of that, just because you want people who love that... Come on, there's gonna be people who love that kind of mythology, mm -hmm. and if you don't, if you don't deliver what they love about it, then It'll it's not really that. Right. But and and that's me. But then again, think about I write historically accurate yeah. stuff. But then, so, but then you can also play with the mythology a little bit as well, yes, so that can. it's like, well, here's what really happened, and then this is how history. Uh, and you can, and it has the elements in there, so you can see how the historical con. Uh, connotations are there right but if there's rules and you can play with those rules go for it i mean it's a mythological place but if there's some rules that are famous and that they tend to stand the test of time with everyone then you, you keep those around and you play with the other ones right I, and really to be honest let's we'll lay it out there's no rule for anything if you're making up fantasy and you're playing do whatever you want there is no wrong answer yeah we're just saying that you know, remember your reader a little bit, which yeah, is why nope. my Billy stuff is historically accurate. Because, in case you didn't know, Billy fans are a little bit fanatic. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. And so, um, so I keep that in mind. And so, when people who are fanatic come up and go, "Oh my God, you're Billy," it's exactly how I see him. I'm like, thank God. Yes. <laughs> so, so yeah, score. score. So yeah, because. And that's the other reason, is that you have to always remember your audience. Uh, anything else? 
might, might it be a good idea maybe uh, to have a round table of people, maybe friends, family, people to like talk to about it? Maybe they'll bring something up about it. Yeah, writers' groups are amazing. Yeah. If you are not, if you are a writer beginning your career and you are not part of a writers' group, please find one. Um, and by the way, if you get into a writers' group and you don't really click with these people and you don't find like it, then yeah, leave. There's fine. more. Um, one of the best ways to find a writers' group, other than just googling, um, is in November. There's a thing called National Novel Writing Month, and NaNoWriMo sets up writing groups. Everybody gets together for, and for writes. Every genre, for yeah. every people get together of all genres and write, and you, you'll meet people if you attend these in person. If you meet, you'll meet people that you like to talk to, and you like what they're doing, and you guys can become a writing group. That's how I know. That's how the one in New York worked. That's how the one I have now worked. Like it, it's just I've seen that happen a lot, and you get to kind of pick and choose your people that way. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. And getting ripped off people that makes me oh my god there's so many times I'll, well, I'll be sitting and writing and I'll, I'll hit a point and I'm like uh, I'm like alright I need everyone's attention for a moment this is the problem <laughs> and they're like and someone literally like you mean like da 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 I'm like thank yes, you thank you <laughs> yeah. and it's just because I can't because I'm so wrapped in it I don't see something yeah, get so a, get, get, get a writer's set of, yeah get another set of eyes always uh, get another set of eyes perspective have uh, I love using beta readers. God, you two are too cute for me. I can't. <laughs> They're adorable. <laughs> I, I'm just like, I just want to speak. Um, we, uh, we have that effect on people. It's like I, it's like I We've put, embarrassed her. I'm I, so sorry. <laughs> it's like I put my works in progress out on Patreon. Uh, uh, and Did you actually make money on that? Actually, yeah. Uh, Patreon saved me uh, throughout COVID, to be honest. Of course, honest. you do write sex. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I just don't. I just don't. I mean, it sells well, so like it never yeah. won't. Um, anyway, um, if you want to find me and my stuff, I write. I did bring urban fantasy with me as well as my historical, um, and I am located in booth C zero two, which is. All the way over the other side of that room, um, and you can pick up books, or you can just pick up swag, so you can get stuff later when you financially are more able to do so. Uh, I'm also on. You can also find me at, on Amazon, all over the place. You can go into a Barnes and Noble. If they don't carry my stuff, they can order it for you. If you're a member of Barnes and Noble membership, they'll ship it to you for free. So, uh, but you can find me on TamsonSilver.com as well. Uh, lots of pictures of where I live and my research, and it's just a fun little area to get to know me and my work. Yeah. Where are the ears? Audiobooks? Uh, I only have two audiobooks, and that's the anthologies that I've uh, uh, submitted to. That's the only two. Doing audiobooks for an indie author is really hard because you because you're financing it's it. It's expensive. You have to find a I'm narrator to do you one like. This year. You have to find a narrator that actually wants to do your story, so it's yeah. so it's a lot of work. So no, and I have no control when this one will be done. Uh, my publisher kept saying, "Well, once all three are done, we'll go ahead and start working towards that." And now that all three are out, they are now looking for positioning kind of company find someone who wants to read it find and then they'll do those and then they have to be edited so I'm always telling people we're hoping by 2024 that we'll have an audiobook for this and I'm Diesel Jester dieseljester.com feel free to take a please come up card. take a bookmark yeah. or a thing um, a I'm thing. over in A16 you don't have to trek as far <laughs> but you 
can trick. <laughs> you can stop at my booth on the way to hers. <laughs> so. And both are on the way to the exit. Yes. Yeah. There you go. Uh, but anyway, thank you all for coming. <laughs> thank you all for coming. Yes. Thank you for listening to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. If you enjoyed our show, please check out D&D Journey of the 5th Edition and Ragnarok and roll a Scion Hero to Ragnarok Story. Also, check out our Patreon page for more content and behind-the-scenes things, as well as joining us for a one-shot game or two.